Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to Strange Familiars. I'm your host, Timothy, and I'm here with my co-host, Allison. How are you doing tonight, Allison? Doing well. If you've seen something strange or paranormal, a cryptid like Bigfoot, a UFO, if you've had an experience with aliens, or if you've seen a ghost, anything paranormal, and you want to share your story, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. We have a tea public shop with a bunch of different designs where you can get Strange Familiars t-shirts and Stone Breath t-shirts and some of my artwork on t-shirts, the cover from Where the Footprints End, for instance, and the cover from Bigfoot in Pennsylvania I made into t-shirts. There's a cool Flannel Man one. We have tons of designs there, and I'm adding more all the time. But you can also get like mugs and laptop cases and banners and all kinds of stuff there. Everything I've gotten from TeePublic has been excellent quality. A lot of these print-on-demand t-shirt shops, I used to use them in the past, and they'd be like... Good for a couple of Yeah, like 70s iron-on quality, <laughs> you know, at best. But my experience with TeePublic, everything I've gotten from them has been just super high quality. The prints on the shirts feel like silkscreen prints. Mm-hmm. So I really dig them. We recently changed our store, so it's we kind of rebranded it. All the same designs are there. It's tpublic.com slash stores slash strange dash familiars. I know that's a lot. You can also just go to tpublic and type in strange familiars. And it'll come And up. our designs will come up. Some other stuff will come up too, but you'll see our designs. We were recording this beforehand, but I think they're having a sale. I think it's either Wednesday or Thursday through Friday or Saturday. So when you hear this, if you go to the tpublic site, uh, don't hold me to it. <laughs> I can't guarantee it because like I said, this is beforehand, but I think their sales coming up. Classic t-shirts are $13. Everything else is up to 35% off. Go ahead and check it out again. tpublic.com slash stores slash strange dash familiars. Or like I said, you can just look up strange familiars. Our stuff will come up. 
keeps us from swearing and silk screening, which is what we used to do. <laughs> yes, yes. And we do still have the classic Strange Familiars logo shirt is available in our Etsy shop because we do have those made up by a professional silk screener, but tons of other designs over at Tee Public. On tonight's show, we are going to be talking with Jay, who has several stories for us. He's got some like ghost stories and some shadow figures, Deja Reve stories, but hang on to the end of the interview. He has a story of Deja Reve that he tells at the end that is so powerful. I mean, it sounds like it saved his life, mm-hmm. really. It's amazing, super powerful, super interesting story. He said he only told one other person before he shared it with us on Strange Familiar, so... That's a big leap that to is. go from... And uh, wonderful of him to share it with us. So hang on to the end of his interview for that. You definitely want to stick around. Before we get to Jay, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you for everything you do. We can't do Strange Familiars without you. If all goes well, the Halloween show will drop before Halloween. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's on schedule to drop before Halloween. If not, it'll be immediately after In any case, there's a Halloween show coming for patrons. We're going to get into some scarecrow folklore. and AMA, which I thought was against medical advice or advanced maternal age, but turns out is ask me anything. Yeah, some great questions that people had for us. So we get into that as well as the scarecrow stuff. That'll be a patron episode, second one in October. We give our patrons as much extra content as we can. Always a full extra episode every month, though. We haven't failed yet. I'm mm-hmm. sure there might be a month upcoming that, that we miss <laughs> it, but uh, hopefully not. If you want to help us out, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. You can check out all the different levels there for subscriptions, get things like t-shirts, stickers, and more. Patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Sign up monthly or you can sign up yearly. If you want to help without a subscription like Patreon, you can make a one-time donation via PayPal. Go to the show notes under any episode. Look for the paypal.me link. You can click that and leave a one-time donation. And everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, and leaving us those nice five-star reviews, which helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. So without further ado, let's get into this interview with Jay. Tonight we're talking with Jay, who has some experiences he'd like to relate, including some shadow figures, which gave him some premonitions, I guess, that uh, they ended up coming true. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, yes, it is. It took me a while to figure out you know, where the premonitions were coming from, but yes. Well. Um, so I guess I should go ahead and start at the beginning. Yeah, go ahead and start. You know, you can be as uh, general as you want as, as far as where this happened you know some people want to only give like the state in the town or just the state even whatever you're comfortable doing as much as it relates to the story and okay. uh, start at the beginning we'll go from there sure well at the time that this first story i'm going to relate to you occurred ghosts weren't something i thought about i i can't say i was a believer or a non-believer i just i didn't think about them this was about 1999 2000 we didn't have all the ghost shows like we have now you know and it started off in a, a non-spooky way, something that didn't even make me think of ghosts. Uh, at the time, I, I had joined the Army in 1997, and we were at my first duty station, Fort Hood. And I don't know if the house, because we lived on base, had anything to do with it, but it was one of the oldest neighborhoods on post. Nothing creepy about it. 
I mean, it was designed for soldiers to live in by, I don't know, the Department of Engineers or whoever, the Army Corps of Engineers, excuse me. So it was just basically just a big rectangle, nothing fancy or creepy. But odd things started to occur, which didn't seem odd at the time until I started looking back at it. I had two daughters and a son. Our son was the youngest. And at the time this started occurring, I'm still, I think I'm still a private in the Army. I might have been an E-4 specialist. But, you know, a broke young soldier, married, three kids. So what me and my wife did on the weekend was go down to the blockbuster, rent a movie or two. And after we put the kids to bed, we'd stay up late and watch a movie, right? And it was always when the kids were real young, a chore for them to stay in bed and go to sleep. And our son, who was at the time, just kept wandering in there on the weekends. We stayed up late, and he would hop onto the couch with his mom or on the other couch with me and, you know, just cuddle up with us and lay down and watch the movie. He'd fall asleep usually fairly quickly. Well, one time, he had crawled up with my wife, and where the TV, the, the wall the TV sat against, if you were looking at the TV, you could also see down the hallway into where the um, bedrooms were. Well, nothing was seen by either of us, but my son looks down the hallway and starts to scream, bloody murder, the boy, the boy, and then proceeds to scramble his way over my wife and wedge himself between, she's lying on the couch, between her and the the back of the couch. And we're both looking at each other like, well, what is going on, you know? We chalked it up. Yeah, he's two years old, you know? And during this time, he used to sing this song, The Boys Coming Down the Road. I no clue what that meant, you know, because we couldn't figure it out, you know. And that same exact scenario happened probably about a month, month and a half later. But he climbed up onto the couch with me to lay down with me. And same thing, he freaked out, started screaming, wedges himself behind me. I was like, what is going on, y'all? Of course, I roll over and get him, like, you know, console him and hold on to him until he goes back to sleep. So nothing odd had occurred other than him singing his little songs and, of course, those two instances. Then one night, and I, I remember everything seemed to occur right around 11 o'clock at night. Back in the day, my wife used to love to, before she went to sleep, she would lay in bed and watch, you know, the Tonight Show, Jay Leno on TV. And so this is an art, this is army housing. There's no carpet. It's all like a linoleum tile. The sound echoes through the house very well. And we always had tried to have the kids asleep by around 8 o'clock because the oldest, I think she was in kindergarten, maybe first grade, somewhere around there. So all fairly young or very young. Mm-hmm. Well, this particular night, I had gotten hungry. And I was like, well, you know what? I got out of bed. I was like, I'm going to go fix a sandwich for a snack. And I'm in the kitchen. Now, the house is a large rectangle, and the kitchen is diagonally the furthest point from the master bedroom. And as I recall, I was – just finishing up the sandwich, putting it together and putting the stuff up. And I hear this very loud, very clear, hey, come here. And it just ticked me off. I was upset because for me to have, it was kind of a high-pitched voice, which my wife does have. For me to have heard it as loudly and as clearly as I did, she could have woken up the kids. So I just yelled back, what? And she didn't answer. And I'm like, what in the heck? So I finished putting away everything <laughs> I go to the bedroom and I'm not going to answer me. Like, what do you want? And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, did you just say, Hey, come here. And she's like, no. And I was like, well, what in the heck? You know, I was like, granted, I was by the sink in the kitchen and there was a window above the kitchen, but I mean, 
my truck was parked right next to the window because it faced right into the driveway. And we lived in the cul say There was nowhere for anyone to like, if someone did something like that, there's nowhere to hide. Because mm-hmm. behind our house, around the cul-de-sac, is just hundreds of feet of nice mown grass and playgrounds for the kids. And so I did go and I looked at the windows. I was like, well, huh, maybe it was one of the neighbors. I just, maybe I missed them or something. You know, one of the kids playing a joke. A few months later, what was I doing? Oh, this time, like I said, you could hear the sounds echo throughout the house. My wife is in the shower in the in the our bedroom. I can hear the water running. The kids have been asleep for a couple hours. I was watching TV, and from the kitchen, I hear, hey. And this time, I could tell it was a boy's voice. Oh, so wow. I jumped up, and I ran out the, the side door into the driveway. I'm looking around, and I hop my fence, and I run around so I can see all behind the houses in the cul-de-sac. Nobody there. And I'm like, what in the heck? And I mean, I, we're talking running around. <laughs> And I was like, who the freak is doing this? This has ticked me off. You know, so I, I came back in the house and I eventually went to bed, told the wife about it. And she said, oh, someone's pranking you. And then it it must have been probably about a month later. Oh, I was on the computer. Now, the living, the house, okay, I told you is a big rectangle. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much divided in half. And when you, you come in the foyer, foyer, if you're fancy, whatever, the entranceway. It came into a small hallway, go off to your right, and cut into the kitchen and the dining area. It was all just one great big room. And then if you continue straight through the entryway, you would run into the intersection, like the corner of the living room, and the hallway off to your left of the bedrooms. Well, the living room was very large. And, like, we had a section got off until a, about a good third of it was we had our computer desk back then. And the computer sat in the corner, and the rest of it was, like, just kids' toys, a toy play area. And so... Once again, the kids have been in bed for a couple hours because it's around 11. And then I hear the wife watching Leno again, like I said, and then I'm playing on a computer. I don't know what I was looking at, but I hear something. And so I look over my shoulder so I can see across the living room and down the hallway. And I see my oldest, you know, she's like five, six years old, coming in there and go, Daddy, can I go to the bathroom? I'm like, yes, sweetie. And so she goes. And I, I can look over my shoulder and see the light shining from underneath the doorway of the bathroom, under the door, and, you know, lighting up the floor of the hallway right there. The light's going in the kitchen, the living room where I was at. And so I looked again, and I, you know, seen her come out. She goes down to her bedroom. And then I looked over my shoulder probably once more because it was her habit of coming and asking me, can she go to the bathroom? And then she would come and ask, well, can I get a drink of water? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, not sure. to go to sleep. I think about the second time after I'd seen her head to her bedroom, I look and (laughs) my hair and my arms stand up. I seen what I can only describe as what looked like a shadow, right? Like if if you were standing by in a well-lit room by a white wall, your shadow on the wall. But it was not on the wall. It it wasn't blacker than black. It didn't have red eyes. It didn't have a hat. Um, at the time, I didn't know what shadow person was. I had to Yahoo it because there was no Google at the time back then to find out you know, what I see. Right, right. But I watched it walk down the hall. It was about 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, Arms are swinging. Its legs are moving. Walks through the living room, turns around, goes back into the, the little hallway in the entryway. And I assume goes into the kitchen because the next thing I heard was, I'm an older guy. My mom had Tupperware. And... She had like those Tupperware glasses that were made out of the same plastic, and it made this weird, this distinct sound. If you like, you hit them on the countertop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like clunk, clunk, clunk. Yeah, I remember. And yeah. I heard that. 
Yeah, I heard that three times on the countertop. You know, clunk, clunk, clunk. Now, I'm at the far end of the living room. Well, there's a, a pass-through into what's the dining area of the dining room, kitchen, big room. And so I jumped up and I darted through there. And there's nothing. There's not even a cup on the counter. Hmm. Then it kind of sinks in to what just happened. Now, at the time, I'm like, how old was I, like 26, 27? I ran like a little kid all the way down my room to watching Leno. I'm still clothed, and I jumped in bed and covered my head with covers. <laughs> I did not know what to think because it lasted. I, I watched it walk through the house. Right, right. And it was, it was so odd because, like, the arms are swinging, the legs are moving. It's not just some, you know, mass moving around. Right. It's a distinct human shape. But, like, the edges, they weren't sharp. They were kind of fuzzy or, you know, uh, not distinct, I guess I would say. I couldn't see fingers or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was almost uh, like when you looked at the gray, I mean, it was it was so odd because it looked like a shadow that would be on the wall, but it was, you know, couple feet off the wall right and it was almost uh not staticky but that's kind of what i think of when i think about it you know the the grayness to it it was you could Mm -hmm. see through it you could yes Hmm. yes you could see through it and so of course you know i like i said i jumped in bed like a little kid covered my head up and my wife's laying there she's sitting up in bed watching tv she's like what are you doing and i told her i was like i just see the ghost walk through the house she laughs at me, you know, and just made fun of me. And then the last thing, and, and nothing else ever happened after. You know, I slept in my clothes. Thank goodness it was like a Friday. And then the very last thing that happened, because we moved out of the house probably a month and a half, two months later. But I just remember getting a feeling. I thought I heard something in the hallway, and I looked. I didn't see any of the kids. I'm like, okay, yep, I'm just going to pull my covers up a little higher around my shoulders. <laughs> Closed my eyes and I felt something grab the blankets at the end of the bed and start kind of tugging on them. I was like, nope, I pulled them up higher. And that was the last thing that ever happened. Oh, wow. So when you saw the, the yeah. figure walk through, when you say it was kind of swinging its arms, so it was walking as if it had weight. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, just like you or I would walk. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, it didn't glide. Mm-hmm. It didn't flow. Nothing like that. It was like a person, but a shadow, you know? And I remember getting on the next day, getting on Yahoo and like, you know, ghost that looks like a shadow. Next thing you know, it was like, ah, there's an old website, Mm shadowlands.net. And it was like shadow person. I'm like, what the heck is a shadow person? And I was just, and ever since then, I've, I've just been very, uh, I won't say enthralled, but at the time I was with the, the paranormal. You know, and I hear so many different things of, uh, not things, but opinions on, oh, they're evil beyond evil, and they're a black shadow person, they're demons. I don't, I don't believe so. I think it's just the form that the energy took, mm-hmm. or you know, because just the way it walked was very human-like. Yeah, that's almost the most interesting part of it to me. That sw- that detail of the swing of the arms, like I said, as if it had weight, kind of walking through. That's very, very interesting. Yeah, and I'll never forget what it looked like. I mean, to this day, I can just think of it. And, you know, like I said, it makes the hair of my arm stand up. Mm. Wow. Um, but we did move from there. The next few places we lived at, nothing happened for several years. And now, and what's odd, and I, I said I wouldn't do this, but I'll back back a little bit. 
when I began the story, I said ghosts, I wasn't a believer or, you know, non-believer because they weren't something I thought of. Well, the more I looked into it and the more I thought about it, I do remember seeing very similar things when I was a kid. And I remember I was around age 11 because I always thought that I would see somebody peeking. Yeah, I could just see like a, a, a silhouette peek around the corner. Uh, look, and it would like duck back around or this little black thing, which at the time, for some reason, I always thought was a badger. It was real low and, and kind of long and always ran around the sides of the wall and run into the couch. Hmm. And I told my mom about it and she was like, oh, that's just your eyes playing tricks on me. Well, you know, at age like 10 or 11, mom's got in my eyes. So I real take sure. her word for gospel. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I never thought of it again. Yeah, I mean, just an example. I've told the story before on the show about seeing a will of the whiff light in the backyard at the farm, and I asked my mom. I, I was probably around the same age, eight, ten, somewhere in there. Uh, it's so indistinct <laughs> because her reaction was like, "Oh, that's just a will of the wisp," as if like, "Don't worry about it." And I didn't yeah. think it was anything to worry about or anything even that special. I thought it was, I don't know. I guess I thought it was some kind of natural lighting effect or something. You know, I just, she was so matter of fact about it that, you know, in a way it put me quite at ease. I don't know if she was trying to do that or what, but uh, yeah, it's the same thing with, you know, if mom's calm about it or dismissive or something, you kind of take that as gospel. No, that, that's, that's very true. Cause I said that and I, I didn't worry more. I seen it, you know, cause I would still continue to see it as, you know, as I got a few years older and I was like, I was playing my playing tricks on it. Right. And left it at that. So like I say, we, we moved from there. Nothing ever happened. You know, it was like, oh, this has been really hard. Was, you know, thinking back on it, it was kind of cool. Um, you know, obviously I told my wife about it. She didn't believe me. Um, she didn't see anything. Apparently the only people that were affected by it were me and my son and he was two. Of course, he didn't remember anything. So I'm still in the Army, and it was 2009. We got stationed up Drum, New York, which is way up by Canada, you know, straight up I-81. Mm-hmm. And we get there, and it's like, we, of course, we just moved from Texas to New York, so quite a long drive. Had really, really had problems finding a place to rent. So found us a little place, a condo to rent. We'd moved in, and it had just been recently renovated. And it was built, I think, in the 90s. It wasn't you know, a terribly old house. And wasn't creepy whatsoever. And right around that time, things just, just started kind of getting weird. At this time, I think I want to say my son was age 10. Yeah, I think it was age 10. And he just, very goofy, awkward kid. You know, like... I was the same way, I'll admit it. But he had this habit of where he liked to scare everybody. Like he'd see you come and he'd jump around the corner of the ball or whatever, and once you got close to jump, try to scare you. Except he was really horrible at it. You'd <laughs> usually walk around the corner to see him, you'd see his eyes light up, and then he would jump around the corner. <laughs> well, he had this habit of it, you know. He never scared anybody. Well, I guess it was a Saturday morning, and I'm at the Master Bath Shade, and you weren't a fan of these that in the bathroom, the door uh, into the bedroom is directly behind me. So in a mirror, I can see, you know, through the doorway into the bedroom. And then from my left to right, I see this little figure run by. And so I immediately just jump backwards. I'm like, ah! Like, what the heck? And so, you know, I've got shaving cream on half my face. Still. I look around the bed. He's not there. I look all upstairs, which is where I'm at. And in the other couple bedrooms, there's nobody there. And I looked downstairs because um, the stairwell was open. I could see him sitting there watching TV. And I was like, well, that was weird. It's like, well, maybe, you know, I just kind of just wrote it off. That was probably 
two weeks after we'd moved in and another week, a few weeks had passed and we were sitting, it was, you know, the whole family, we were eating dinner one night and I brought that up. And then my daughter, my youngest daughter, the middle child, she asked me, she's like, did you come to my room the other night and open the door and stare at me? And I was like, no. She's <laughs> like, well, I couldn't see cause it was dark and it was way big. Cause She's like, it's way bigger than mama. And my wife's five foot, I'm six foot. So there's an obvious height difference, you know? Mm-hmm. And she was like, I could tell it wasn't mom, but I couldn't tell if it was you. She's like, it was just dark. And you opened the door and stood there for like 20 minutes. She's like, I pretended like I was asleep so you wouldn't get mad because I that she wasn't asleep. Right. I was like, no, I didn't do that. And then my wife brought up that someone had come and finally missed her, thank goodness. But something had come to the room and had grabbed her foot, like grabbed her toes and started wiggling it back and forth. She said she looked and there wasn't anybody there. Oh. And I was like, finally, you believe me? She's like, well, maybe, you know. She did not admit it because we've been married almost 30 years and it's always, you know, oh, what do you call that little thing we have? Oh, you're right, or, you know, I'm always right. Right. Kind of thing. Everybody started, started kind of coming on board. I told the kids that what happened to the very first time. The wife knew about it. And so after this, I told them. But then shortly after that, we were able to move on to base again. It was a different base, you know. And got a very nice big house. You know, not a condo or anything like that. It was just absolutely gorgeous house. Once again, didn't feel creepy. Didn't feel scary at first. And we moved in. And, well, unfortunately, I had a tour to Afghanistan I think within about two and a half weeks after moving in. Mm. So I got back a year later and we were just just watching TV after the living room. And here, what just sounds like this enormous crash in the garage, which is outside of the living room, run around and go out into the garage. I have this great big shelf of whatever you can think of garage stuff on, right? I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, one must have collapsed. I run out there and nothing is askew. Hmm. Nothing is laying down. It was a huge sound. I mean, everybody jumped up. And so we're like, well, what the heck? You know? Um, there was even a room in there that's made to store all your army gear in, you know, all this and that. I go and look in there. It's like nothing's falling. No, nothing tipped over. And we couldn't figure it out. I was like, well, that's odd. And then oh, a week or so later. I guess it was the evening still, uh, again, once again. We hear another boom, but it doesn't come from the garage. We're like, well, what was that? And it wasn't nearly as loud. And so in the hallway that led to the garage, you passed the uh, utility room where the washer and dryer's at. And so we opened that up, and thank goodness, for some reason, my wife had bought the powder uh, laundry detergent instead of liquid. I, I mm-hmm. don't know why. Mm-hmm. But it sat on a shelf above the washer, and it had flown six feet across the room, hit the wall, <laughs> and fell down. The dryer's not running. There, there's nothing in there that would shake the walls to make it shoot six feet across the room. Well, that's weird, you know. Left it at that. And that house, we lived there for five years. And there was just always odd things happening. Like, well, for me, it, you know, living in Oklahoma and Texas my whole life, getting sent up north like that, you know, the house didn't have central heat and air. We had radiators, obviously, and this house had these large window units, but they were actually, like, fitted into the, they cut, you know, hole through the wall and had them in a few rooms throughout the house instead of in the windows. Mm-hmm. 
And we honestly only ran them maybe three weeks a year. It was that nice up there during the summer. Always just had the windows open. But twice, and I, I don't recall the time of year, and it's obviously it's the summer. I remember my wife saying, oh, it is hot here. And the rem- they had remote controls to them, but it always sat on the living room. It sat on the table directly underneath it, so it didn't get lost. And it was com- the unit was turned off, and all of a sudden you just boom as it came on, and it is turned the fans turned high, and the temperatures turned down to sixty. Hmm. And there's no voice control in these these stairs, and we're just kind of looking at each other, and we're just like, "What the heck?" That happened twice. Um, once she remarked, I think it was in the fall that we had a ceiling fan in the living room. She said she was cold. And it was as if someone had stuck their arm straight up into the the ceiling and stopped it. Hit. I mean, it made like dust fall off the edges of the blades. Stopped so quickly, so abruptly. Huh. Yeah. And then one time, uh, my daughters had come out of their rooms, and like the the bathroom by their room, their doors were on either side of it. So they came out, and I guess both intended to use the restroom. And the door was open, I guess, about eight to ten inches, you know, just open a little bit, not fully open. Lights off. They both went to go right into it. And, of course, the oldest she gets there first and pushes on the door with her shoulder while trying to arm her sister, little sister, out of the way. And the door came back and slammed and threw them both out of the bathroom, after which they both went back to their bedrooms. <laughs> uh, never saw anything. Never saw any figures or anything like that. And then, you know, the longer we lived there, like when, and I hate to say this, but, you know, I, I had been to Iraq and Afghanistan several times. And I, I, I'm supposed to be this, think of myself as this big, bad guy, right? When I would go to bed at night in my bedroom, I would, you know, flip on the hallway light, go to the bedroom, turn on the bedroom light, turn off the hallway light, turn my bedside light, and then turn off the bedroom light. And I would turn my tablet on and hold it in front of my face as I got to the bed and then with the light and for the last probably two years I lived there, the feeling in a room, the, I wouldn't say dread, it was palpable. Mm. There, you, you knew there, were, there was somebody in there with you. Oh, wow. And it was just very, very, very odd. I, I, I really can't describe it other than that. I mean, it was, it was horrible. And it's just like I've reverted back to being a child again. It's like, no, I gotta keep my eyes closed. I can't see it. It's not gonna bother me. <laughs> I, I did have somebody grab my shoulder and shake it one night, and I opened my eyes, and there was nobody there. I was like, oh. But because we did love on base, now it wasn't only limited to to nighttime. So we lived on base, and I worked like two and a half miles away. And at the time, we got an hour and a half for lunch. I would come home, and everybody's gone to school and gone to work eat leftovers, take a short nap, you know, wash the DVR, whatever. And it was nothing to hear a bedroom door opening, closing, and you hear a, a, a different bedroom door open, close, as if somebody was going room to room. And you didn't see anything, but just heard it over and over again. It was unnerving trying to go to bed in that house. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. And why it was like that, I don't know. Yeah, well. The house was built in the 80s, so we'll find that out. Mm-hmm. Was this a property that a lot of different families would have been moving in and out of? Yes. Yep. Uh, and that's one thing I've, I've often wondered is, uh, you know, the military is a high-stress job. Mm-hmm. And so if you live in a house, at least one of you is in, you know, well, for me it was in the Army. So 
maybe just that stress, the energy, you know, perhaps it's manifesting in those kinds of places. Yeah, I mean, that could absolutely be a part of it. You know, when we talk about liminal spaces, here's a place that, you know, is changing. Um, you know, fam- like I said, families are moving in and out of, you know, it's it's kind of always in flux in a sense. Yeah, all the neighbors are moving. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, a constant influx of, of people, well, in and out, whatever. It was almost entertaining at times. <laughs> but after I left there, I got lucky and... They made me an army recruiter. I hope you detect my sarcasm. Um, and I got sent out into deep east Texas, the middle of nowhere. And so we're living in this small little town. I spent a little over three years there. You know, and obviously it was the oldest house I think I'd lived in. I think it was built in 1959. But same thing. Didn't feel spooky or creepy. And, and nothing happened inside the house. Nothing ever did. But something happened outside the house. Now, when we moved in, it was the second house from the corner. And the house next to us on the corner, the original owner who, who bought the house new in 1959, was built at the same time, was a retired World War II vet. And he was, I want to say he was in his early 90s. He was 92 or 93. But both his children, who were like mine and my wife's parents' age, they lived about an hour away each. And so my wife's a very nice person. And so she realized he's at home alone. And so after dinner, she would make him a plate, make, bring him some dessert and go take to him every day. Well, unfortunately, after she started doing this, I'm going to say about two and a half, three months after she began that he passed away, you know, just of old age. Mm-hmm. And that was that, you know, we got to meet his kids because they hung out there, you know, to get his affairs in order. And, the house sat empty for over two years. Matter of fact, it was still empty when we left. But it wasn't long after he passed away that around dusk, now it didn't matter if it was summertime or wintertime, because you know how the dusk changes, you would just get this, this rap the door, about knocks, knock, 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 door. The dog would get up and look, the kids would look, and at the first several times this happened, we would get up and open the door, and no one was there. So I'm sorry, you cut out again. So around dusk, you, you would hear knocks on your door. Yes, on the front door. So, I mean, in the dog herd, she would sit up and look at the door, and we would all, you know, several, the first several times it occurred, we would go to the door, and there would be no one there. We'd be like, well, what the heck? Because, you know, when you turn around, it's like, you heard that, right? And I'm like, yeah. And after a while, because it happened about three, four times a week, hmm. you just kind of wrote it off. Well, I guess it's, you know, Mr. So-and-so from next door. Right. And that kept going the entire time we lived there. But one night, well, I guess one evening, the door was beat on so hard that it flexed. Like you seen the light in the door jam because it was being beat on. So it was more than three times. It's like my six. Wow. The dog jumped up. I had this very large American bulldog. It was to the door barking. She didn't bark at anything. And like my son, my wife, myself, you know, I grabbed the dog by her collar. We run out the house and we were looking. My son runs around the house. I ran around the, the corner. My wife runs the other way down the street. Nothing. Wow. But then diagonally across the street from us is there's this high school kid that my son, my son was in high school at the time that my son knew of. He didn't know him, know him. And he was about to commit suicide in his truck. <laughs> and it was, sorry, get up over now, but so I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm kind of drawing my own conclusions. Yeah. Maybe Mr. So-and-so from next door, he's still hanging around. Obviously maybe he's seen that, whatever. And he knew we were when people are going to do something about it. 
is very, very odd. So you were able to stop this kid? Yes. My wife ran over there, started talking to him. I called 911. Wow. It's pretty crazy kid. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's intense. And they lived in that house in 2014. It didn't have anything until this year. And it only occurred three times. The American Bulldog I told you about, we'd had her since she was a pup. She finally passed away. And she was a very, very large dog. I mean, she was 98 pounds her whole life. Just well, seven, she was tall. And she didn't move anywhere fast with a purpose. I mean, just a big old black dog. She had passed away, and there was two times at night, probably separated by about two or three weeks, where I thought my wife got into bed, so I turned around and looked, and there's nobody there. And I was like, what? The second time it occurred, I got to think it felt like a dog. She put one paw up there, another paw, and then she would put a, you know, she'd use one of her back legs to put on, put on the sideboard and put the last leg on top of it and just crawl up there real nice and slow. And then I was taking a nap on the couch one day and felt the same thing, getting up on the couch. And But obviously there was nothing there. And yeah, that's been the last of my experiences. Huh. Oh, thank goodness. Wow. Yeah. And why why these things seem to happen to you know, my family in such a quantity, I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it, when you, at first you, you were know. telling me, I was wondering if it was something akin to see, poltergeist activity would tend to pop up around kids of a certain age. And, you know, we, yep. I'm thinking, well, maybe that's it, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know the last story about the banging on the, well, not the last one, but the previous story about banging on the door and, and then finding that, that kid outside. That's just intense. I mean, what a, what a strange thing. Yeah. That, that, I mean, no one would ever know. Right. You know, yeah, that was that kind of makes my scalp tighten up. Yeah, um, yeah, that is, it, it, it's just weird. Like, maybe he knew we could pick up on. Him. I mean, obviously, we checked the door several times. You know, like I said, nothing inc- occurred inside the house, but it was always the same time that she would take him something to eat. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so, that's interesting. Yeah, right around that time, mm-hmm. I didn't put that together before. Yeah, yeah, it, it was around right around dinner time or slightly thereafter. And yeah, so we always get to knock on the door. Ah, interesting. Yep. If you have a puppy and you need help with your puppy, (laughs) Allison laughs every time I say, if you have a puppy, (laughs) if you have a puppy and you need help with your puppy, if your puppy's a little maniac, (laughs) or even if he's just a little bit naughty and you need help with training. There aren't, he's not naughty. You just haven't learned the proper techniques yet. I, you know, I I think Tina would agree with that. 90 days to the perfect puppy can help you with your puppy problems, whether Mm -hmm. they be big or small. SidHappens.us is where you can find them. You look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. They can help you with things like fear and nervousness, barking, potty training. If your puppy is chewing on furniture or shoes or other things they shouldn't be chewing on. Crate training, hyperactivity issues, leash training, mouthing and biting, and much more. With 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy, you get online sources like video lessons, a secret Facebook group where you can interact with other puppy owners, 
with problem puppies. <laughs> <laughs> this is really a test for the microphone, how, many, how much popping you can do. And of course, they have one-on-one options available as well. Again, that's sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. Let 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods so you and your puppy can become perfect for each other. That's all my paranormal experiences, but I did mention that the deja vu, the, the premonition thing, and this is, uh, I haven't even told my wife this. I, I, I told a, a friend of mine, uh, well, and obviously a guy at work, the, the day this last experience happened, or the one I'll really tell you about, but like all my life, I had deja vu experiences, and I didn't know what they were until I was in my late teens. You know, it was just something weird. I would get this very odd feeling, the sensation come over me, almost to where I would just kind of stop and pause because you knew how everything was going to play out for the next couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was just very weird. I was like, well, that was kind of weird. you know. And I just always kept it to myself. And I've always been a very vivid dreamer. And this is where I put two and two together. Back in 1997, right before I joined the Army, I remember having a couple of dreams. I was just like really intense. I was like, Oh, I'm scared to leave home, you know, first time leaving the wife and the girls. My son wasn't born yet. And I was like, I was very worried about it. And so we're in basic training, and I had been there about two or three weeks, and it was just one morning, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, I got dressed in my uniform, trying to hurry up, put my boots, so we'd get down to formation. And I remember looking off to my left, you know, just this huge rows of bunk beds. And I seen everybody, and it was just that same moment. Everything just kind of slowed down for a second. And I stopped, and I knew the guys were talking to each other, what they were going to say and everything for 45 seconds. I was like, and that's when it occurred to me. I was like, wait a second. I just dreamt about this like three or four weeks ago. I was like, holy crap. You know, was, I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, well, I dreamt about that. Yeah. And any time it ever happened, it was seriously just – mundane everyday things nothing special i'm not psychic um and that's what really bothers me is because a lot of the psychic stuff uh i'm very very skeptical Mm -hmm. i find a lot of it hard to buy into but yet at the same time i've had this these things happen to me so i can't completely discount it but i can't fathom how some of these people could have the things they say they have Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I don't know how to put better than that. But, so, uh, my my one big story, which I actually say saved my life, it was my first time in Afghanistan. In my job, uh, in the Army, I was a human intelligence collector. I don't know if I should say that or not. Uh, but we're the, we do the secret school stuff. And so anyway, I'm attached to this unit. We are in northern Afghanistan. And the unit I'm attached to, I pretend to be one of them. They go out on missions six days a week, you know, go walking through villages and all this and that. So I get out and meet people, you know, to, to do what I need to do, to mm-hmm. do my job. And so we usually left, uh, we got up about 4.30 in the morning because we usually, we would roll out, like say an hour, we'd park away from the village, come out and, you know, go four or six miles. We were walking and talk to people uh, through the villages and the countryside, whatever. And by this time, we've been doing this like seven or eight months. But this next day, we were going to a village that 
we had never been to. And we were in such a remote country, the, the Americans had never been had any, uh, uh, what do you call it, outposts or anything out there, uh, or bases before. Um, the only people that came through there, every once in a while, the Swedes or the Norwegians or the Finns would come through there, like once a year, make false promises and seen again, <laughs> kind of thing. So there was kind of a distrust, right? right? Even though it was a fairly peaceful area. And so go to bed like usual, I'm sleeping on my cot in a tent, and then I just had the most intense dream. For some reason, I couldn't tell you where we were. All I knew is we're marching down the road, and I was walked with the uh, patrol leader, uh, a lieutenant, and kind of a sidekick kind of thing, because he would always help me out. I was like, hey, do you need to talk to this person, that person? Where are you going to go now? And so we're at the front of the formation. We're walking. We come to this, this curve in the road, dirt road, and it curves to the right over this little bridge and into this village. Well, right at the corner the curve in this road on the outside of the curve is this white house, um, a white, uh, like stucco, you know, brick house. And these two gentlemen come out one, he's, uh, 45 to 50. And forgive me because I cannot remember the name of their clothes, but he's wearing what we always call the man jammies. These very loose fitting linen pants and matching tops. Right. You know, mm-hmm. And he's wearing a brown vest over it and I, his hat, I forget what those are called as well. Please forgive me. And then someone who looks to be a son, or is you know, the appropriate age to be a son, probably 25 to 28, wearing light blue ones, but he's got a brown hat and brown vest on, he's both wearing sandals. They ask us to come in. I'm like, hey, yeah, you know, come on, LT, we got to go in here and talk to these guys. So I remember in the dream, we go in and we're, we posted guards outside, and I carry a sidearm. But I also carried a rifle. Well, to make him feel uh, less threatened, I would always hand off my rifle to one of the guys standing outside. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, my, my sidearm is still loaded, um, and the lieutenant does the same because he also has a sidearm. And we sit down with these guys. And what it is, we, we came in and kind of went to the right, and it was a you know just a big open room, no TV, had a, the bare light bulb hanging from a wire in the middle of the ceiling. And there was a bunch of pillows outlining a rug, over in the left-hand corner of the room, and we go over to sit there. He tells a lady to go fix some chai, and they're sitting kind of towards the corner, and their pillows are a little bit fluffier than ours, and we're sitting there across from them, and I don't remember what dialogue was brought up. I don't remember what we were talking about. And the next thing I know, the younger one, who turns out was his son-in-law, starts getting upset, and he reaches under the pillows, and pulls out an AK-47 and, like, levels it at us. Um, I remember him shooting. I remember getting hit once, but then tackling him and then pulling out my sidearm, and all I heard was gunfire, and then I woke up. And I was like, Tim, I kid you, I I flew up off my cut. I was like, oh, my gosh, my heart's pounding. I was like, that was a horrible dream. Wow. I was like, holy crap. And at that time, my alarm goes off. I'm like, thank God. I was like, I couldn't go back to sleep. And, I mean, it was just it was so vivid, so detailed, all the details I remembered about it. And it was much more than what I just related. But so I, I hurry up, I, I do my hygiene, I get dressed and run down to grab a bite to eat real quick. And we're getting ready for our convoy brief. And I run to this lieutenant that I work with all the time. And I was like, hey, LT, man, I just had the weirdest dream. And I related to him. He's like, man, that's crazy. He's like, what are you smoking? You know, <laughs> oh, no, sorry, I didn't like that. And so we get it's like about an hour to an hour and a half ride to get out to this village. 
Now, it's not that far. You have to think we did maybe tops 15, 20 miles an hour. <laughs> it's all off-road. So we get there, and like I said, they circle the trucks up. You know, some of us dismount, and we get in formation. We start marching towards this village, and I kid you not, Tim, we're coming to this curve in the road, and on the outside curve is this white house. And it was just like, you know, what I said before, I would, things just kind of seemed to go in slow motion for a second. Mm-hmm. I mean, this time, like, my, it, it felt like if you were dehydrated and you stood up too quickly, you get that, oh, I'm going to pass out, you know, that tingly feeling. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'd never had that before, you know, in one of these situations. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was just in the dream. LT's like, hey, you can go talk to these guys? And I was like, I, I, I could barely speak. I was like, no, we got to go. Those are the guys from my dream. And he looked at me like, well, just imagine the bad bird coming out of my forehead. <laughs> um, and I was like, no, we got to go. We cannot. And that was just very out of character for me because I was always wanting to talk to everybody, trying to make contacts. I never really could. That kind of thing. And after that, I, mean, I was just kind of in a haze the rest of the day or the rest of the time we were, we were doing our patrol because it was, it, I don't know. It was like you were standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you start to slip and pinwheel for a second and all of a sudden you got pulled back in. Right. He's like, oh my gosh, I just about died. Now, there, I had very close calls several other times in the Army, but nothing that I had a premonition about that like you knew before it happened. You're like, oh my gosh. So I don't know if I had gone through with talking to them would it have played out as I dreamt about. Because any other time I had that deja vu, it did just mm-hmm. exactly that. I had never changed the course of any of that. Right. And why, why I had this dream, and it happened to occur the morning of the occurrence, that had never happened before at all. Yeah, that's Usually nice. it was so far apart, right. I, I couldn't remember. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to go back to. So it, you basically wake up from this dream, get ready, go, go out, and then walk into the same situation. You walk into the – yes. Wow. So – that's why as, as much as I, I kind of have a dislike for organized religion because just the way the actual people are, um, I, there, there's something greater than me. And I think that was kind of given to me is like, hey, you know, wake up, um, pay attention to something. I don't, you know, call God, call the cosmic being, whatever. Right, sure. Uh, it just, it, it blows my mind to this day. And that's been 10 years. Yeah, no, that's yeah. an amazing story. Wow. So I've had I've talked to people who have this deja vu, and like you said at first, it's usually very mundane things, where they'll say, you know, yes. I've dreamt this, I've been given this for whatever reason. I, what does it matter? You know, uh, I, I was making a sandwich, big deal, like nothing. But uh, occasionally, people will get these kind of bigger, more meaningful ones. And wow, it seems like you really got it. Yeah, who knows if you'd have gone in that house? Who knows? But I think <clears throat> you made the right call. Oh, I, 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 I do not. Who knows if it had, if I had the dream two weeks before, would I have even remembered it? Right. I might have a little tingly feeling or something, but I might not have, you know, uh, given such weight to the, the thought of like, no, let's, let's don't, we can't do this. Yeah. 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 And, now and did, I mean, you know, message. and since then, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask if, like, did you spend a considerable amount of time in this little town or village or whatever it was? 
no. We only went that one time. Mm-hmm. We walked into the market, and I would say in less than a minute, all the vendors closed shop. Now, these aren't storefronts like you think. They're sticks with, you know, roofs made of branches and kind of things, you know, houses made out of mud brick. We're talking very, very poor people. They seen that one house there. I think he, he must have been an elder because it was the nicest town in the village. Mm. You know, electricity was ran, and I kid you not, uh, across barbed wire that was on like these 10 foot tall sticks that, you know, they'd scrape all the branches off of, stuck in the dirt, and they would just run across the top of. Very ingenious people, mm-hmm. just uneducated. Oh, no education system. I'm not calling them dumb. Right. Um, and I, I think he was the village elder because by far the nicest place. The only person that had cement on her house <laughs> and he had electricity. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, I was just going to ask if anything else came of those guys that day, but I guess you didn't spend a heck of a lot of time there. No, we spent, um, I want to say about an hour and a half after that, because I think we only, we only marched about four miles or so that day to get back to the trucks. Because we, we had aerial footage of the village and stuff, so we'd plan out the routes before we got there. You know, okay, well, if something happens, you know, go here, there, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so we just made a circle. Didn't even pass back by the house again. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, were you on edge that entire time till you were out of there? Um, I was, but at the same time, I felt very detached because just – like I said, it, I woke up out of the dream and went into it in real life, so to speak. I was very uh, taken aback, mm-hmm. perhaps you would say. Sure, yeah. It was, it was surreal. Yeah, I Maybe, can imagine. Because yeah. like I said, when, it first, when I realized that it occurred in my dreams, I was in basic training. That was, oh my goodness, like 13 years before this. And you know, I was like, oh, wow, I dreamt about this you know, three or four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but like you said, it was just something one day. I, I dreamt about me tying my boots and looking over and watching my buddies talk. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Wow, that is amazing, yeah. though. That's incredible. Well, I'm, I'm glad you didn't go in the house. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. That makes two of us. <laughs> yeah. Wow, amazing. Yeah, but, it, I mean, it was the, – the particulars of everything, the house – was exactly the same, the same color. The guys were wearing the same clothes that were in my dream, down right. to the colors. Even the old man's beard, which mine now resembles, got that big gray going down the middle, <laughs> um, was the same. It was, it, it was peculiar. It, I, I, I mean, it's, I it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I know it must have kind of shook you up a bit at the time, but uh, wow. That's uh, I get chills when you tell it. It's, it's that, that's a good story. I like it. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I, you're probably the third person I've told. Like I said, I've I didn't even tell my wife that cause she don't need to worry about that kind of thing. Well, sure. yeah. I retired last, year, so now she doesn't have to. But just for my personal uh, curiosity, so did you speak? I don't know. Was it Farsi or the local language at all? Uh, no, it was where we were at. They spoke Turkmen. Um, Dari, Russian, and Uzbek. Okay. Which I always thought the Uzbek spoke Russian, which they do, but they also speak Uzbek. Gotcha. Yeah. And don't ask me to say anything. That's no, no, fine. <laughs> but, I haven't used that in a while. Sure. No, but I mean, did you have to basically communicate with them 
you know? Um, I did have an, I had my own interpreter, okay. uh, an actual linguist from the army who was, he was born in Pakistan. He was what they call an Olima, uh, just a linguist. Mm-hmm. And what was really cool is he was mine. He worked for me, nobody else. And when we go on these missions and stuff, like a lot of times I would go with the, the cop commander, the combat outpost or COP, the cop. And when he would go meet these uh, high-ranking leaders, you know, in the area, in the province. And after the first couple of weeks, I'm like, okay, these guys don't have any information. We don't already know. So I was like, let's go and hang out with some of these other guys. And I could pick up some of the stuff, you know, what they were saying. Mm-hmm. But my interpreter, he's, he'd spoken from birth, you know? Right. Now, granted, he lived like he, he was. He moved to L.A. I think when he was like eight years old or something like that. But uh, well, in my job, I would put on a fake rank and a fake name, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had another name tag for him. And what was really cool is he looked like a Mexican soldier. So those guys didn't even think that he could tell what they were saying. And there was there was a, more than a few times he's like, uh, "Hey, Sergeant, we got we got to go down here. Uh-huh. <laughs> These guys don't like." <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that would be helpful. Yeah. It was very extremely helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Amazing. Amazing. I, I, I mean, wow. To be, you know, on the other side of the world anyway, and then to have that dream and to walk right into it. Uh, just amazing. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. Oh, I'm glad to share it. I, I've wanted to tell my stories for years and... I, I just couldn't do it. And I'm like, well, I'm retired. I don't communicate with too many people, you know, in the army anymore. So maybe I won't be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for sharing them on Strange Familiars. I'm happy to have them. That's just, just great. Again, that last story just gave me chills. Oh, well, like I said, I'm, I'm glad I could share it. <laughs> thank you. So much. <laughs> no problem, Tiff. Not a problem at all. Well, Jay, thank you for your stories. And... Good luck going forward. Let us know if uh, anything else happens. All right. Will do. Have a great evening. You as well. What is going on with her hair? Well, there are people who are not me who can tell you, like, what month in 1868 that particular hairstyle was popular. <laughs> but it's a pretty elaborate... Um, she's got some purchased hair in the back. That, that's all fake back there. That's fake hair. Yeah, I think so. And then the part in the front, those are little spit curls that she's made herself for picture day. <laughs> now, were those literally made with spit? Yeah. She's really interesting looking. I like her. Yeah, she's got she's really intense and she really dressed up for picture day. <laughs> I really really like her. And there's no information. No, no uh, no photographers. It's kind of an unusual portrait like the the blurred background. It's like it's it's a little unusual. I don't remember where I got it originally, what it was, you know, what other things were with it or if it was a single thing that I bought. But yeah, she's, she's, but she's just like very fashionable in her own way. She's kind of intense. Yeah. I like her. She's really neat. Picture of the week. Weird girl. <laughs> intense spit curl girl. This is Yeah, she- don't type that in. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um lovely young lady for sale. Yeah. Oh, still don't look that up either. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> CDV. So that puts it between which dates, roughly? 
Um, well, you know, 1860s through 1870s-ish. Well, if no one else scoops her up, I might just keep her because she's pretty cool. But we'll go ahead and put her up this week as the photo of the week. You can find this in our Etsy shop. If you go to the show notes under this episode, there will be a picture of this photo. You can click on that. That should take you right to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this and some past photos of the week, which are also there. And I've never mentioned this before, which seems kind of stupid, but like if you have old photos that you don't care about... Why have we never mentioned this I've before? Never, I buy old photos. Um, yeah, I, can't, I won't guarantee that I'll buy everything that I see, but like if you want to shoot us an email and just send pictures, I can, I'll give you a price. And yeah, we I buy lots of them. old photos. If it's a matter of like you're about to throw them away, I've had several people say, oh, I just threw away boxes of family photos. Like I use a lot of them for research. I do resell some of them. I collect even more than that. Right. And so... I would get it to a, a good home. Yeah, any old photos, early 1900s and before, photo postcards, stereo views, anything like that. Yeah, we definitely buy those. We are purveyors, but uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well. I can't believe we've never mentioned that before. If Yeah, if you have old photos, we'll take a look at them. I want to thank Eric C. for his PayPal donation. I don't know how many he's made. It's fairly regular. I think it might be monthly he makes donations. So thank you so much, Eric. That's a big help. And we're quickly approaching episode 200. It happens pretty fast. It does. Especially now that we're weekly. And then for the first part of the pandemic, we were doing multiple episodes in yeah, a week. Yeah, so we kind of bulked up during the first part. <laughs> yeah. We go racing towards it 200. Came quicker than, than we thought. I was going to do um, another powwow episode. I think I mentioned this before with the uh, the other interviews your mom did of kind of local people. But the quality of the tapes is pretty rough. So I think we're going to make that a patron episode. It's interesting to listen to if you can just know going into it that the sound right. quality is like a little uh, one speaker cassette player. Yeah, it's 1970s uh, with people in the background. and Old people who love to have the TV on or yeah, smash exactly. things around or... And the accents, which I, you know, like, I, I don't think of our area having, like, a very particular... Um, when it's thick, it's a difficult accent. It's difficult to yeah. figure yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. and I, ha accent. I felt like I had to kind of go back in time to being around some of the older people mm -hmm. that I used to know. And But, uh, yeah, so not to put that off on the patrons, but I think, you know, if we can explain to the patrons before a patron episode, like, hey, the sound quality isn't great. but It might be still, worth a listen still, if you're interested in the yeah, topic. Yeah, and... still worth listening and, and so forth. So we will put that out there, but I don't think if we put it out as a regular episode, I think people would be upset at the sound quality. Yeah, I think so. But episode 200 is coming up real soon. Um, I'm not sure it's going to take the form I originally thought it was. I, thought, I think we were going to have someone else produce that, but I don't think there's time for that to do it in time. So I think it's just going to be you and I, but it is a really, really cool topic. It's really, really interesting and done a lot of research on it and uh, I will continue to do more. So 200 may in fact be the spark of something bigger, you know, we'll see. Like 201? <laughs> <laughs> no, like uh, deeper research. Oh. So stay tuned for that. I guess that's, that's coming up really, really soon. What episode is this? This is uh, 198. Oh, yeah, that would be so soon. next week, I guess, because the Halloween episode should be 199. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's stop on back for episode 200. Before we go, I want to mention our friends at Karmic Garden. Etsy.com slash shop slash Karmic Garden. 
They have soaps. They have scented sanitizers. They have natural cleaners. They have candles. They have beard balm. And they have much more, including a strange familiar scent, which I think is selling pretty well for them. Oh, that's good. And guess what? What? The next batch of strange familiar soap, I think, is going to be blue. Ooh. So. And you didn't have it scented like what we really smell like, which is like old books. and <laughs> <laughs> Dusty ephemera. <laughs> Dusty ephemera. <laughs> no, it's vetiver and frankincense and myrrh. Yeah, it so really does smell good. So it's, uh, it's quite nice. Karmic Garden, Trusted Remedies Made from Mother Nature. Again, you can find them at Etsy. Etsy.com slash shop slash Karmic Garden, or just type in Karmic Garden, one word, and they should come up. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back soon with another episode of Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. By the way, did a big update of the Stone Breath Bandcamp this week. Added a bunch of stuff, some solo albums, Black Happy Day, my project with Tara from Lycia, and some stuff I'd forgotten about, some stuff from the archives that I had literally forgotten about. So all that was added this week, stonebreath.bandcamp.com. You can also get the apparitions book at Bandcamp now as well. I put that up there. So we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strange familiars, where you can join the strange familiars gathering group. And we're on Instagram at strange familiars.
Sewing so 
Reflected in 